0: Father God, we praise you that you speak to us today by your Holy Spirit through your word, the Bible. We praise you for these words we have in front of us. We pray that you would open our blind eyes now, soften our hard hearts, so that we may hear your voice. We may respond in our lives, living in wisdom, seeking Jesus in everything we do. We pray in his name. Amen. You'll also find on this uh, blue sheet uh, some points as we go through the, uh, th- through the passage. Um, this is the end of the introductory part of Proverbs. That's what chapters 1 to 9 is. It's the last chapter of the introduction. And uh, if you just look across the page there, you'll see that uh, Proverbs then breaks into the kind of single verse aphorisms that we might think of if we know anything about the book of proverbs that's the sort of thing that we that that we think of Uh, but these first nine chapters have been trying to get us to see how great wisdom is and to want us to embrace that wisdom and to find that wisdom ultimately in christ now i wonder if you've recognized some of the themes uh, here in chapter nine that we've seen through the whole of those nine chapters we meet once again Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And uh, Proverbs, in, in Proverbs, Solomon has urged his son over and over again, Son, choose Lady Wisdom. Don't go with Lady Folly. And uh, he's, he's been saying that in many different ways. But here's the thing. Is that choice of wisdom just a one-off thing that you do? once in your life you know I've made the decision I'm now following wisdom and I shall no longer be foolish is that how it works we probably know instinctively that that isn't how life works at all and actually we've seen that choosing wisdom points forwards to the choice that we make to follow Jesus he is ultimately where wisdom is found and again, think about it, is the choice to follow Jesus just a one-off choice? Well, of course, in one sense, it is, in one sense, a conversion, a turning from sin towards God, putting faith in Jesus once and for all. You know, the Christian life isn't a thing where, where one day you're a Christian because I've chosen to follow Jesus today, but then the next day you're not because I'm not following him today. No, no if you're a Christian, you've turned to him, and your life will be one where you struggle with sin some days more than others, but you've turned to him you're trusting in him it begins with that single choice that determines the path of the rest of your life but actually despite that that choice to turn from sin and follow jesus is repeated in a smaller way every day so paul writes in colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 he says just as you received christ jesus as lord continue to live in Him. Just as you received Him, continue to live in Him. Each day, each moment, in fact, we face a choice. Even as Christians, if we're trusting Jesus today, the question is right now, will I go God's way or will I go my way? Will I go the way of folly or will I go the way of wisdom? In all the decisions that I make, every moment. To put it a different way, it's the daily battle that every Christian faces with the temptation to to no longer stick with Jesus, to go with sin, to to turn away from following the path that leads to life. So this is about what is often called sanctification. So whether we're, we're trusting Jesus today or not, this is a choice we all face between wisdom and folly. And that's a choice that we face whether we began trusting Jesus weeks, months, years and years ago, or whether we're yet to do that right now. Now, it's said that the average human being, in the West at least, faces between 4,000 and 10,000 advertising messages of one kind or another every day. Can you believe that? You see, just in the world around you, whether it's online whether it's on TV and radio and things you hear, uh, whether it's just walking down the street, going on the tube, they reckon. You, you see f- between 4,000 and 10,000 of those brand messages or, or things like that that are trying to influence your behaviour every single day. And it won't actually then just be adverts that the seeking to change our behaviour, seeking to influence us in our, in our lives. Actually, all kinds of things do that, don't they? So the, people friends family members colleagues sometimes they will try and influence us in an obvious way tidy up your room arrive on time do this project by next week but sometimes the messaging you get from people will be far more kind of under the surface but it's there a cold shoulder a glance a look that says everything you need to know and then we face many many messages on a daily basis and we face choices about what to do with those messages and beyond that we face choices about how to live and to act in a way that honors jesus or a way that doesn't honor him and perhaps one of the most difficult things and even discouraging things about trying to to live as a christian is when you know full well that something is wrong and yet you don't seem to be able to stop yourself from doing it anyway. Do you know that feeling? You know, we, we might say to ourselves, well, you know, it's, it is not good to be unreasonably impatient with somebody, perhaps a colleague or, or maybe, you know, the children or whatever. And, and, and usually when the person is not there, I'm able to say to myself, yes, I need to be calm, I need to be measured, I need to be loving, and tomorrow that is exactly what I'm going to do. And yet tomorrow the moment comes and I'm snappy and short-tempered. Do you know that kind of feeling? And it happens with all kinds of different battles that we face. We know what's the right thing to do, but we still find ourselves choosing in the moment to do something different. Why do we do that? Why do we plan to go to bed early but end up going to bed too late? too late? You know, why do we have one more portion, one more chocolate, one more drink when I said... I'd stop earlier why do I enter a conversation uh, intending to be an encouragement to the other person and come out realizing that I spoke about myself the entire time do you know that feeling I'm sure we can all add to the list in different ways now often we'll have our reasons ready won't we well I'm tired you know when I'm tired you know anything can happen they were asking for it you know But when the reality is that this is the norm rather than the rare exception, what do we do with that struggle that we face in all these different real-life situations day by day? So this is where we need to hear Solomon outline for us these rival invitations from Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly in chapter 9. We need to see that these apply not just to the major life decision of whether or not to follow Jesus, which is the most important decision we'll ever make. It does apply to that very clearly, but it applies beyond that to the daily choices that we continue to make, which over time will take us on a path towards Jesus or it will cause us just to gently drift away, as the letters of the Hebrews warns us against. And we need to see how we apply that, this choice to all those decisions that we make. In the moments that we live day by day, and especially where we want to choose one thing, but we end up choosing another. So let's let's see this in the chapter. Can you see that the, the way the chapter is structured? It's it's like it's one of these sandwiches. On the outside, can you see verses one to six and thirteen to eighteen? You've got Lady Wisdom and then Lady Folly at the end, and I've called that two ways to dine. If you look on the sheets. Uh, In the middle is the outer filling of um, of the sandwich. Inside, you know, perhaps some cheese halfway in, you know. um, Two ways to hear, And then right in the heart of the sandwich, in the middle of it, one verse, verse 10. Summing up the chapter and the whole book, the meat, one way to be wise. So we're going to kind of funnel in, starting on the outside. Two ways to dine, lady wisdom, lady folly. Look at these two invitations that wisdom and folly issue Can you see that actually there's quite a lot that's the same about them? And then there's some things which are different. So first, what's the same? Can you see Lady Wisdom, verse 4, says, Let all who are simple come in here. And if you look, verse 16, actually Lady Folly says exactly the same thing. Now, where are they seated or or standing as they do this? Well, verse 3, verse 14, both are at the highest point of the city presumably in order to be heard by as many people as possible. So we've seen, haven't we, all through Proverbs 1 to 9, actually, if you've been here, we've seen that wisdom and folly, at first glance, are hard to tell apart. They both offer something attractive. But look at what is different. Wisdom has prepared her meat and mixed her wine and set her table. She's worked hard to cook up a real feast for her guests if they will only respond to her invitation. Lady Folly, by contrast, in verse 17, what does she have to offer if you, if you look? Verse 17, well, actually only stolen water and secret food, which by implication is food that belongs to somebody else and can't be eaten openly. Wisdom's even built the venue for the banquet with the perfect number of seven pillars folly verse 13 is undisciplined she can only have come upon her house by trickery or theft she would never have got it together to provide properly for herself finally look verse 6 wisdom's way will lead to life but folly's meal if you look verse 18 is a banquet in the grave so do you see how this works one of the issues with folly is that it isn't automatically obvious that you are choosing it. But folly is like idolatry, worshipping idols. Idols are, are always good things taken out of their rightful place and then misused. So what are the big idols for human beings? Things like money and power and sex and ambition. All those things that we've seen through Proverbs 1-9. to What's wrong with those things? Well, well, nothing is wrong with those things in their proper place. Nothing at all. They're good things created by God, good gifts from God. But as one writer puts it, a good thing becomes a bad thing when a good thing becomes a God thing. So money is a great tool, but if you live for money, well, one day you're going to lose it all when you die. Or if not, even sooner. And Lady Folly says, well, don't worry about that. Just think about today. Just think about here and now. You know, see what it can do for you right now. If only you will go with me and I will give you the greatest pleasure and satisfaction for now. So how can we ensure that we choose Lady Wisdom's invitation, not Lady Folly? Because Lady Folly is encouraging us towards something that is stolen, like the, the idol, it's out of place, it's being misused, a good thing but in the wrong place. How can we ensure that we choose lady wisdom so that it makes a difference in the heat of the moment and we're able to choose patience over impatience, kindness over selfishness, love over jealousy, all those things that we might be theoretically signed up for but in practice find it hard to embrace in the moment. Well, there are two main things that Solomon points us to here. And one is simply to see the folly of going with folly. And the other is to see the wisdom of going with wisdom. So he says, look, can you see the folly? Verse 18, look, the dead are there. This is a banquet in the grave. And he's saying, look, just see beyond the appearances and see where this is going. See the folly of choosing Lady Folly." One of the weapons the Bible uses against idols is to expose them for what they are. So the prophet Isaiah has a few chapters on this around uh, chapters 41 to 44 in the book of Isaiah. When he says to Israel, how can you worship these statues made of wood and call them God? When, look, these statues that you make, they don't even stay upright unless you nail them to the floor. And, and the same wood that you carve the statue out of, you then go and use it on your fire to keep you warm. What on earth do you think you're doing? Are you crazy? Can you really call that God and think it's going to give you something that lasts? And the thing is, just because our idols today aren't made of wood, it doesn't mean that we're not equally foolish. So uh, Tim Keller has a great book on this called Counterfeit Gods. I think it might be over there on the bookstore. He says, he looks at how love, money, sex, power are all great things given by God, but they are like like wood, aren't they? They are created by God for a purpose, but when you worship them as an idol, they seem to promise so much, and yet they deliver, in the end, disaster, if if you make that the ultimate thing that you are living for in your life. So if we are struggling with temptation, if we're struggling with a particular sin, a destructive habit, a way of relating to others around us, it's helpful as a first step to just see the ugliness of that pattern of behavior, to hold it up to the light. The dead are there, says Solomon. That meal that looks so attractive, he says to his son, it's in the grave. Don't go there. If our work or our ambition or our or, or power, or some sin has assumed idolatrous proportions in our hearts, it might take something big to jolt us into reality. A workaholic sees a colleague have a heart attack. Someone who's convinced that the right romantic relationship will solve everything sees a friend's apparently fairytale marriage falling apart. See, if we make good things into ultimate things, things that we cannot do without... We need to see the folly of it. They will only let us down in the end. But actually, we need more than that too. You see, we need to see the wisdom of wisdom. Verse 6, embrace wisdom and you will live. Look where this ends. So for us today, embrace Christ and you will have life that can never be taken away from you. Isn't that glorious? Real relationship, deepest intimacy. I don't need to prove my worth, my status. I don't need to kind of be so ambitious that it cripples my life because Jesus is worthy and he died for me and he's given me a new identity. So say you want to give up eating junk food. You know, you, you've, just, you, you've, you've decided you're persuaded by the health arguments. You know. You've seen the horrible pictures of what it does to your heart and the the fat clogging up the arteries. But you can't get past the convenience and the tastiness of a Big Mac. You 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 know in your heart, you know, it's a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. But that moment where your teeth sink into the burger is so glorious... And the thing is, you know, homemade, nutritious, healthy food is, well, it's expensive, it's hard to prepare, and actually it just, it just doesn't taste very nice. You're thinking. Not what I think, but it's what, 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 what one might think. Well, what is it going to take? What is it going to take to stop eating junk food, even if you theoretically think it's a good idea? Well, actually, it's going to need to be replaced by something even more glorious, what if Jamie Oliver himself, or your celebrity chef of choice, came and took up residence in your kitchen? He says, I'll cook whatever you want, just how you like it, with the best, most healthy ingredients, and it will be the most delicious thing you have ever tasted. And this is not just for one day, it's forever. And best of all, it will cost you nothing. Might that just make a difference? to your ability to say no to what you know in your heart is wrong, but just keeps on day by day, just keeps on attracting you. Look at the alternative over here. Look at what you're being offered forever, for free. And that is precisely what wisdom is offering us in her banquet. Can you see that? Up against the stolen, poor-quality junk food available from Lady Folly, you have the greatest possible banquet. That is what God offers us in Christ. And so in those daily moments of decision, we will only choose wisdom if we can see the awful folly of folly. If we can see it for what it is, it's killing us. It's leading to death. It's destructive. We need to see that, and we need to see the glorious wisdom of wisdom. We need to see how, how wonderfully attractive the life of going God's way really is. That is the first thing to see here but Solomon wants to take us further to think about how we hear those invitations on a daily basis because like when the the Amazon man or whoever rings the doorbell and you've got your headphones on and he goes away again if we're not listening properly we won't get the invite that's what Solomon is saying so secondly two ways to hear now Proverbs has much to say about <clears throat> about this mocker. he comes up later in on in the In the book. And and, and the purpose of these verses here in this chapter is to help us to see that very often the the invitation to wisdom or folly comes not necessarily directly from God or through the Bible, though it may do that. But that invitation often comes via other human beings. It might be uh, through preaching and teaching like this, or in small groups, and it might be in that kind of context that we hear uh, correction or challenge. It might be a a friend or maybe a colleague coming alongside us and saying, why are you doing it like that? You're you're missing this. If you carry on like this, this will happen. What are we like at receiving that kind of correction, that rebuke? We often call it feedback, to give it a label. How do do we receive that when it's given to us? I think if you're anything like me, it, it often depends on who's giving it and whether it feels like they've won the right to give it. And the thing is, pride very easily gets in the way of hearing and acting on, on that kind of feedback. So if I can see a hundred things wrong with the person supplying the feedback, I'm going to find it very easy to, to write it off and ignore it. But the thing is, perhaps we find that particularly easy to do when you, when you sense that they might have a point. And then we've got a reason to, to not to listen to it. You know, go away, hypocrite, is an easy way to duck the correction and ultimately to miss out on wisdom's invitation. But look at verses seven to nine in, in, in chapter nine. Actually the instruction is not so much to the mocker themselves, but if you look, it's 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 addressed to the person delivering the correction, the feedback, and it's it's a warning, it's a bit of advice. Don't bother trying to correct a mocker because they'll just slap you in the face. But that is in turn a warning to all of us, isn't it? Because if we close ourselves off from listening to what others might be saying to us, in the end, we're going to be beyond help because no one's going to want to help us. Because we keep batting them away. And we'll be missing out on wisdom's invitation altogether. So how do I know if I've turned into a mocker? Well, this is ultimately about humility, isn't it? About our willingness to learn and to grow and to say, yes, I'm, I'm not the finished article. Now, it doesn't mean taking every piece of advice unfiltered, because actually the person offering advice might actually be an ignorant fool. They might be. What, what was it they said to young Mozart? Too many notes. You know? Some advice we get just—it just is the wrong kind of advice. What do we need in order to to listen, though? Well, we need to have wisdom. And we need maybe to hear what someone says, and maybe if if a couple of people have said something, well, actually, you might want to start to take notice. Or we might need to go and talk it through with someone else. Well, they said this, and do you think there's anything in it? Rather than just our first uh, kind of knee-jerk response, being to kind of back things away and saying... Um, I, you know, that, that, that's got no truth in it whatsoever. Who are the people that we trust in our lives to be able to give us that kind of feedback? Maybe friends from church. Maybe having—it's good to develop those kind of close friendships. Maybe a small group of people that we pray with. There's a danger as Christians that we can simply just become isolated. We're here on a Sunday. We're here listening to the sermon. But who who really knows what we're like? Who's able to give that challenge and deliver those further invitations ultimately to wisdom so that we're not just choosing folly? Is there a space for that in our closest relationships, in our marriages, in our closest uh, friendships that we have? So don't be a mocker. Solomon says, Make sure that you're not closing yourself off to hearing the invitations to wisdom. And that then finally takes us to the, the heart of the passage, to verse 10. Two ways to dine, two ways to hear, one way to be wise. And do you remember, this is how chapters 1 to 9 began, back in chapter 1, verse 7. This kind of bookends the first nine chapters. If you want to be wise, if you want to be the kind of person who chooses wisdom, who chooses to follow Christ when the chips are down, make the fear of the Lord your first priority and concern. Because life is complicated. How can I be ready for all the situations life throws at me? The bit where life goes beyond the rules, the grey areas, the ethical decisions at work. How can I possibly know how to be godly in all these things? How will my children ever know how to make godly decisions in an increasingly chaotic world with serious pitfalls and dangers around every corner, online and uh, social media and all that kind of thing? More young people suffering mental health issues than ever before and stress and anxiety increasing. What are we to do? Well, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Jesus puts it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't heard yet, we're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount next term. So a little advert. He says this. Do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That is the New Testament equivalent of the fear of the Lord. And what this is saying is, yes, life is desperately complicated, increasingly so, bewilderingly so. But there is one very simple solution. Seek first his kingdom and everything else will fall into place. Remember the fear of the Lord. It's not being sort of terrified of God because he might be a monster or something like that. That's not what it means. It's saying this is a God I can trust This is a God who is not to be messed with. If we try to do life without him and and persist in that unrepentantly, well, ultimately we're going to fail miserably. We're going to suffer his righteous anger. But if we seek him, pursue him in Christ, well, he will welcome us with open, loving arms. We can't flee from him, but we can flee to him. So as we struggle daily with all the different decisions that we make, big and small, it's worth keeping on saying to ourselves, yes, I may, I may be faced with something I don't really know what to do or I don't know how to, to change what's going on inside my heart. Where do I need to start? I need to start by getting right with God. Will that mean praying about it? Will that mean seeking advice from friends and talking it through and praying with them? It's about being open to him and saying, Lord, I need to know... What to do here i don't know what to do and we may not get the answer straight away but we are open, talking to him we are seeking him seeking and pursuing christ as he personifies wisdom so if we're struggling with sin today come back to christ and find grace to fight sin tomorrow if if idols are competing for first place in our hearts see the banquet that Christ has invited us to see see the folly the ugliness of life without him worshipping those idols see the glory the joy that comes from knowing him stolen food spiritual junk food will kill us in the end one compromise at a time why choose folly today when there is a banquet with Christ the highest possible quality costing nothing less than the price of his own life. Let's end with those words that, uh, that, that Wisdom says in her invitation. Let all who are simple come in here. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this invitation to this glorious banquet of life in Christ. Help us to choose that in every moment. Help us to see the goodness of living your way. Father, this banquet that you've invited us to was, was won at the cost of the death of Jesus. What a glorious banquet. And so we pray as we battle daily with sin. temptation, as we face those moments of impatience or uh, lust or feelings of jealousy, as we struggle to go your way, not our way, may we see the ugliness of folly, may we see the beauty and joy of choosing to go with Jesus. And Father, we pray that if we've not yet trusted in Jesus for the first time, that you'd help us to see the wisdom of doing that. To come to Christ and find life in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.